0: Hey, everybody, it's John. Um, oh, I'm still kind of in shock. Uh, so you're about to hear a, a a really lively episode with Dennis Dragon from the Surfpunks. And uh, I just this minute learned that Dennis died a couple weeks ago. And I don't quite I had no idea and I don't quite even know what to think or do about it. So Dennis was the drummer of a band called the Surfpunks, which um, I really loved when I was a teenager. It's all in here. I mean, this episode is all done. The intros and the everything about it was done. We were going to put it out in a few hours. And so this morning, I thought I should um, look him up on Facebook so that I could tag him when I put the episode out in a few hours. And when I typed in Dennis Dragon, it came up Dennis Dragon dead. And I, sure enough, he died, I guess, on the 25th of September. And, uh... I had no idea. And now we're, you know, so the, this interview I did back in July, July 18th. I don't normally hold on to interviews for two and a half months before I put them out, but sometimes that's just how the timing goes. And uh, this was the week and it's all done and ready to go. And Jan's gonna be putting it out in a, co- in a few hours and, and come to find out that he, he died. So this has to have been like probably the last long form interview he would have done with anybody and now he's not even here to hear it. He doesn't imply that he's sick or anything's wrong in our interview. He's a really, he was a really funny, nutty guy. You'll see, I mean, he's a force of nature. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, does anyone remember the surf punks I don't know what kind of impact they had on everyone else, but they were a formidable band for me. And this week we get to hear from band member Dennis Dragon. So Dennis's career has been all over the place. He started out actually in the 70s as a producer working on a song with his brother Daryl and Daryl's wife. Well that song became Love Will Keep Us Together by the captain and Tennille. His brother Daryl is the captain. So of course this put Dennis on the map. and. He's making money, he's putting all that money back into production equipment. He becomes a sought-after audio engineer and producer. Eventually, he becomes buddies with this guy named Drew Steele. And Drew is like a beach bum surfer. And together as a lark, they start this band called the Surf Punks. It never really rose beyond sort of jokey side project thing status for Dennis. But um, they put out three albums in the 80s. We We only really talk about the first one. Uh, Their 1980 album, My Beach, classic, by the way. All the songs are just kind of crude and juvenile and rude. And they're about boobs and girls and surfing and beaches and beer. As evidenced by this song you're listening to right here, Somebody Ripped My Stick. This was exactly what the teenage John Labrador wanted to hear. Anyway, Dennis is a great guy. And you can tell right here, he just goes. The best thing is is to sort of get out of his way and let him tell his story. I inserted myself a couple of times to ask some questions, but otherwise you can just get hit, start him and he does all the work for you. And he w- called me from his from his studio in Oregon.
1: There we go. Okay, now we're good. Ah, thank, you. thank you so much. Sure. Well, uh, no, thank you for doing this. So well, I think greetings. you know what you're I've,
2: I've, for. i for. I haven't done anything
1: yet. <laughs> no, we talked about it. That's true. Well, uh, this may be a disaster.
2: Oh, good. I'm ready for it. I, greetings <laughs> from Southern Oregon. Salutations.
1: Well, thank you, thank you, and greetings from Denver, Colorado, the Mile High right. City. And we're yeah.
2: all getting and we're all getting sprayed with chemtrails. So it's we're all good. Well, good. I, I wonder what that's going to do to our children
1: and our children's children.
2: I think it's already happening, and I, you, you know you don't want to look up. You don't want to look down. You, don't, you only want to look at your smartphone. That's what they want at this point. That's all they want.
1: That's all we need.
2: Smartphones okay. are going to save how, us all. How far, how far back do you want to go?
1: Well, so this is the <laughs> – I have a feeling you have a lot of answers for a lot of different things.
2: Uh, you tell me.
1: Okay, okay. I have a feeling. So this will just be – this is just a recorded conversation. I have some things I want to ask you about. We go where we go. The main crux is sort of um, how artists that we haven't heard from for a while pay their bills. And you, I know, are not really the most but – you're not the best example of this because I get the i get the feeling the surf punks were just a very small part of a very long uh,
2: it, it, career
1: in the audio industry somewhere, right?
2: They, I look at the surf punks as a chapter in my book that I haven't written yet. Mm.
1: Why? What makes you say uh, that?
2: Well, I don't know. Again, I think you already said it. It was it it was not a small part, but definitely a part of many things that I had been doing before and many things that I've been doing after. So to me, it was just like not a blink of an eye, but certainly, certainly a a zone. You know, a five to a ten year zone. Okay, that was was a fun zone. So that was really good.
1: Sure, because I think you know I talked to a lot of people who. You know, they they want to become rock stars. They they thought they they want they wrote good songs and they wanted a record deal and they wanted to be in a band and they wanted to be career musicians and so they went the normal logical path to do that. And I get the feeling uh, you didn't do any of that. That was not a no, motivator for you. It was just something to have fun.
2: Absolutely not. It yeah. Was a, it was a complete screw off. And all I know is, I mean, I can get into this in a few seconds. Uh, if, if I hadn't have met Drew Steele. And he had not turned me on to certain bands at that time that were happening that I didn't even know about most of them. Uh, there would be no surf punk because I was really. operating. I was operating a recording studio, coming off of you know some, some hit records. Money was in the bank. Money was rolling uh-huh. around buying equipment. And you know, if, you want to start with that? Yeah, I mean, you you can start before, after, or during or anywhere. You is, you tell me where you want to start. No, this is great. We're so going. Oh, this
0: we're
2: is going. it. Okay, yeah. Well, it's real. This, this this is a big time. So yeah. um, I would say that it was, it was, the year was 1975, something 76, something like that, mm-hmm. and I was just coming off of working with my brother Daryl Dragon, the captain of the captain mm-hmm. at A and M Records, and you know we 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 cranked out the record of the year and some other hits too, "Love Will Keep It Together" and all that junk. That was fun. That c- proved that I knew what I was doing as a recording engineer, so that was good. Uh, you know before that, Daryl and I were uh doing surf milk movie soundtracks in my bedroom in Malibu no on on all sorts of you know cr- crazy recording equipment at that sure. time, and that was uh-huh. in the sixties and stuff so that, so we've been doing that and so as they got signed, they did the deal what you talked about as far as you know getting songs together, wanting to become stars. I mean that was Tony's trip. You know. Oh, I mean, she, really? She, oh, yeah. She she met Daryl, and it, it was you know. Oh, this guy works for me, and it you know it works for him, and all that kind of mm. stuff. And they and they pursued that avenue, and mm-hmm. that was that was a lot of fun. And they you know you can always pick up the book Tony Canell's memoirs if you want to know more about that. Okay. So so uh, yeah. So I joined in as a recording engineer that Daryl had worked with before. Got along really well with probably You know, he's my brother. So uh-huh. I know how to work with them. He knew how to work with me. So I, there I was at A and M Records, and the first stuff I did was it turned into record of the year. So I came out of the amazing. bedroom in Malibu, recording on the floor, and you know, over to A and M Studios in Hollywood, and recorded for them the record of the year, which is kind of fun, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of nice.
1: <laughs> that is so,
2: amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so but being that as it was in May, I I made the money that I made off that that little deal. Paid for some record, really good recording equipment that I got from my buddy Alan Sides, who owned Ocean Way Recording in Hollywood, and everybody right. knows about Ocean Way. He and I still talk about once every couple months or once month, every month. But the thing is, that's where I made my money, and so I said, okay, I got a studio in Malibu. There we are, right across in Zuma Beach. It's working mm-hmm. for me. I get to body surf, and, you know, run around, and play with girls, and throw frisbee on the beach, and sure. then record in the afternoon with whoever banned, whoever wants to walk in with $100 bills and at that time mid 70s there were people walking in with $100 yeah. bills I don't know where they got them but I certainly <laughs> took them. <laughs>
1: oh, oh. Well yeah, let me let great. me po- let me pause you for 1 second now you're oh, yeah. you're a super I'm sorry I have I have a feeling that you you're big on momentum and if I disrupt that it could be yeah, dangerous, but... so I'm going to try oh, not no, to. No, okay.
2: I've, been, I've been told just to stop and go, it's just fine. Okay, no, this, is, you were, this
1: is perfect, but I have a question,
2: which yeah. is, I mean, you like you said,
1: you're in your bedroom tinkering on what becomes the album of the year. Do a lot of people start coming to you after, I mean, do like Cliff Richards people oh, and no, Andy Gibbs it.
2: people, no, no, and, no, hey, do they hello, start coming hey. to you saying, let's do this again? Here's the deal, I, I was working on surf movie soundtracks in my bedroom. And that was cute on the four track T and that you know oh, that was, okay. that had certain limitations. No, I didn't do Love will Keep Keepers Together in my bedroom. That was okay. done in Hollywood on the big the big equipment.
1: You know? Got it, got it. Okay So okay. so
2: so I did that at A and M, you know, got got the award mm-hmm. and recognition and yes, people did come to me. Johnny okay, Rivers, yeah. Johnny Rivers came to me and you know, I he he said, Dennis, I got a song here. That not sounding too good I hear you're a pretty good mixer Look, You've made some gold records for somebody else Maybe you can do the same for me And that, that song that I worked with him on That made, I think, to the top ten Was Slow Dancing it's
3: late at night And we're all alone. Just the music on the radio No one's coming No one's gone The telephone down low and we're slow dancing swaying to
2: So that was fun, and I had okay. a fun working with him, you know, in the studio. But, it, yeah, there were other people, too, who said, hey, okay. Dennis, if you work with Dennis, you can become a star. No, sure. that's not true. That's not true. Dennis, right. can you, Dennis can give you a pretty good sound. Uh, okay. Dennis has a, a few things to say about production. But, no, uh, you know, there were people that wanted to ride that gold train uh, to, to nowhere, basically. And
1: are you able to branch out on your own and become your own independent thing? Or are people wanting you and the captain, Daryl, Together because it's his I mean let's you know no offense, he's the star because it's his name on the song that just is getting all the accolades, so does he want you, or are you setting up your own shop independent well, of him, carrying on your yeah, own career?
2: yeah, exactly. I set up shop with the money I made from that deal, and okay. you know bought some really good equipment from Motionway on allen's side, set it up at Zuma Beach in a garage type thing, but a really nice okay. one, uh okay. really cool boards, great microphones, this and that, so no, Daryl and I, after he met Tony. That was pretty much it for the Daryl and Dennis show. Got it. Okay. Um, Got yeah, it. it was it was the Daryl and Tony after that, and, you know, you can read the memoirs if you really yep. want to really, yep. really know. So. Got it. Okay. Yeah. By so, the way, yeah, I've that, tried that, many
1: times that, to get Tony on here, and I've never heard back.
2: Oh, well, you know, that's the yeah. way it is sometimes. But you yeah. can get me.
1: I'm cheaper. I, hey, I'll take you. I was a bigger yeah, surf punks like fan anyway. And okay. Just, so, and they're divorced so, now, correct? Right? Uh, yeah,
2: I, I believe so. I don't keep up with the gossip. Okay. Check out. Okay. I don't want to gossip. An,
1: I just wanted to I did that's a little bit pick, of news. Pick okay. up an
2: inquirer. Got it. Okay. So, okay. Other, so I got the studio, I tell happening, I'm getting hundreds of you know bills walking in the door, I don't know where they uh-huh. come from. And people were smoking marijuana. I don't know where that came from. And so that's all good. I guess they were growing it, too, but I don't know what. came from
1: your stash, I'm guessing. No,
2: no. Yeah, right. (laughs) So my thing was beach guy, uh, Malibu, studio, drummer, many bands. You know, I played sort of like Mitch Mitchell until I heard Mitch Mitchell, and then I gave up. Mm. And then that was kind of the bag I was in. so cut cut to Drew Steele. I meet, I'm this guy on the beach. He plays for the, he sort of looks like me. He's got blonde hair. He's got curly hair. I kind of sort of got the same thing. I'm 10 years older than he is. And he go. oh, by the way, I'm in a band. I live in Topanga, da-da-da-da. Hey, whatever. And then he I invite him up to the studio because I find out he plays guitar. And there's some sort of synergy there, some weird, you know, beach mm-hmm. synergy.
0: Mm-hmm. I invite
2: him up to the studio. He comes up and plays me the Tubes. He plays oh. me ACDC. Yes, the latest David Bowie stuff, 1970 mid 70 stuff, mm-hmm. which I haven't heard, and the Ramones.
1: Uh,
2: okay. When I hear that, I go, okay, the door is officially open. Especially the Ramones. I said the door really? is open before anything goes. So at that point, we decided to just say, hey, <laughs> if we could do this yeah. on a beach, well, on a beach screw off level, so the surf sure. punks were born, 1970, about 76 the heavy influence from the Ramones and I had the studio so we had time to just screw around write stupid songs with no more than no more than two or three syllables as you know and just just keep it simple and that's what we did you know we recorded two songs in 76 my beach and my wave Songs we recorded, and I enlisted my buddy John Hunt to play bass because he's another beach guy in Malibu. Okay. Sort of guy. Played great bass, and we got another guy, John Hughesenstam, A.K.A. Johnny Malibu, to play lead guitar on some stuff. <laughs> but he didn't play on My Beach to My Wave. But he's John Hughesenstam is a great blues type guitar player. Okay. Out of Laguna Beach, so we can get into him later if you want. Cool. But the thing is, Good. the deal is we put out we put out with our own money. My Beach and My Wave on a single, and it's like we just re- re- released it. Well, yep. Denny, Denny Cordell, who was living in Malibu at the time, do you know that name?
1: I do know that name, but I'm trying to place where I know it from.
2: Well, he was, I think he, had a sh- he was involved with Leon Russell or Shelter Records. Something oh, sure, like sure, sure, yes. Yeah, he, okay. he gets you into this thing because Drew Steele was working at a record store in Malibu called Euphoria Records, and he was selling these things down there, and people were buying them and digging on them, like, hey, surfplugs, my beach, my yeah. way, well really cool. And so I guess a few people walked in and uh, became aware of it through that. And Denny Cordell signed us for a quick deal on Shelter, I think, and it was released very, very briefly, those two songs in Australia, as oh. just kind of a test. And I think, uh-huh. I forget the year, but it was like mid-70s, late-70s, whatever. Okay. It was okay. So, yeah, that, that happened. It fizzled. It didn't really do anything in Australia. So we decided, okay, big deal. We got two songs. Let's just do an album. Screw it. I got the studio. We got the songs. We can rewrite them in about a minute. So, you know, they're all written, obviously, about real-life situations. of sure. big top. Uh, that's the best. Too big, too big for her
3: top. Gonna pop Distracting all the surfers They forget about the tubes No time for waves Let's talk about those boobs You just can't miss her When she's coming your way Just how big they are It's hard to say We want to get to know her But there's hardly any room Everybody
2: wants to see for zooms. Over hey! Those are all real life situations. Yeah. Malibu. So we're all having fun. Everybody's getting laid, and you know it's, it's all good. Yeah. So yeah. the recording tape was cheap at that time. I think it was only 125 a roll. Now you can't even buy it. So, or so we just did more songs, and then yeah. we, there was a Malibu fire came through in '77, and wiped out Drew his trailer. He was living on my property at the time, up in some shack up in the hills in Malibu in the hills, and and so. I guess he collected some money off that for insurance. Oh, okay. So, so, he, took, so he took a bunch of that money, and we pressed up 1,000 albums. <laughs> Surpunk albums. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a really cool one. It's the one that has the linoleum cover. It looks really like pink and black. Definitely. And that, that, that was the original Sirpunk album. We put, uh, pressed up 1,000, sold them locally, created a buzz. I guess it got into Fraser Smith's hands, who was, a, you know, a, an L.A. DJ, Fraser Smith. He knew Rodney or those people at KROQ. Uh-huh. Uh, and then once, once Rodney got out, he started playing because he thought it was as freaky as hell. And then, he, then we started picking up some real steam in L.A.
1: Okay.
2: Um, we're getting airplay on KROQ. Fraser Smith is playing us up. Beach guys, wacky. You know, come on out to the beach, freak out. Meanwhile, we're not signed to anybody except ourselves. And, you know, we play – our first concert ever was at the Santa Monica Civic in front of 3,000 people just on the word of mouth. No way. No way. And Dick Dick (laughs) opened up for us. Think about that. What? Really? Yes, sir. So, (laughs) that being said, comma, Uh I guess the word got out that the surf punks were on fire, Southern California, it's all happening, you know, they were the latest flavor. And, uh, it, you know, it was, it was then, I guess, Drew's brother, Tommy Steele, who's an art director at Capitol Records, I think at the mm-hmm. time, said, hey, I can waltz. I got a buddy over at Epic, and they're looking for punk bands to sign because punk is in or something, you know, sure, alternative. Sure. It was a flavor de jour, music de jour at the time. And right. so this guy, I forgot his name. Oh, I'm not good with names, but I remember this one. Larry Schnurr. <laughs> oh, unfortunate larry schner at epic records was given a two hundred thousand dollar budget to sign four punk alternative type acts
1: mm-hmm. and so we
2: were one of them so we got signed to epic i think they gave us 50 grand that went quick and then we were on epic records and then, then wow. you know they we thought we were a big time and we played a few concerts all over the place we were a band we we're we were doing the road shows. The, you know, we had, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever talked about or seen our road shows. Our live shows were unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I've uh, heard.
2: We, we had the props. We had the lifeguard tower. Surf films, fat chicks, teenage girls, muscle men, li- um, sand on stage, trash uh-huh. on stage, uh, and more, a lot more. So, <laughs> so these, good. These things were like stage shows that were just out of control, and people were just diving into the audience because that was the thing to do. And sure. everybody was spitting on everybody because that was the thing yeah. to do. And can I uh, pause you, know, you again? That was can going I pause on you again years. with a question? And, you know, the reason the record was selling, and who knows how much it sold because we, we, you know, we, sure. we I'm sure we got ripped off by Epic because they didn't they didn't give us the right, you know, paperwork as far as how many records we sold. You've heard of that before, haven't you? Of
1: course.
2: We'll never know how many how many records we sold. Yeah, at
1: Epic. That's where we left off.
2: With big comp with big companies, unless you've got a bank of lawyers, which we didn't and we didn't even have one lawyer, they know that they got the upper hand. So, yeah. you, you know, we may have sold, you know, 50 copies. We may have sold a half million. I don't know, but it doesn't matter, because we right. sold a lot of T-shirts and visors at the show. <laughs> so that made, that made up for it. Right. That, that was the fun part. Cool. So, now, lawyer, let me ask you a question. I had a yeah.
1: question. I want to interrupt you again. I'm sorry. I know no, you're no. little Let me interrupt you for ahead. one second. So I, I'm trying to decipher whether a little – side project hobby of yours is now taking over your life and you're becoming now the surf punk guy when before that you were a professional audio engineer who could work on anyone from captain and Tennille to whoever's album or is it did it never get big enough that it ever remained did it just stay at like a fun side hobby thing on the and that you could do while you were having being more the professional audio guy.
2: Okay, this is where the, the discrepancy between the band members kicks in. Mm-hmm. We were we were playing, you know, more and more concerts. It was taking up more of my time and cutting into my studio time with other people who come in with hundreds. So yeah, sure. there was a little bit of conflict of interest there. And I personally never got into it to to do the rock star thing. I just mm-hmm. it was it was a side deal for me. Unfortunately, yeah. and it's a big unfortunately. Drew Steele and the other members of the band thought it was the real thing. They thought they were going to yeah. be the Stone, and yeah. and and, that, and that's the sad part because to me it was just a kick. Uh, you know, I was getting mm-hmm. laid. It was fun. You know, it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. And when it it started stop stop started stop being fun. Is that a sentence? Yeah, oh, I
1: knew what you meant. <laughs> when it For stopped, me, it, it, yes.
2: it started to stop being fun. There you go. Then <laughs> then I sort of reevaluated the whole situation and. Yeah. Here, here's the here's the good one. You'll like this. Maybe your audience will enjoy it. When the Serpents were on fire at the moment, the the people at Epic Records booked us into a big gig in New York City at the uh-huh. Ritz. Okay, Ooh. I don't know the year, but it's, the Ritz was a big thing at the time, and sure. you know, it's supposed to be a Halloween gig. Okay, so we were booked in. The, the plane, the the tickets were purchased. Everything was locked in, and this is the one that blew everybody's mind, including the record companies, and the b- other band members. The surf was up that day. I mean, really up. And it uh-huh. was really good. And, I, I mean, it's like it doesn't get good that often. It was offshore offshore wind, and it was like October, and it was just like pumping, and it was on fire. I mean, some best waves I've ever seen in years, and I blew off the gig. Really? Why? Why? <laughs> You just you didn't care. Why? The because surf was the better. The surf was up, dude.
1: <laughs> that is such a surfer thing to say.
2: No, but it was but I see I am that guy. I mean I'm okay. not that du- I'm not that dumb, but I mean right. I if the surf is up and I'm thirty years old, which I was at thirty two and it gets as good as it gets, I don't I'm on it. You <laughs> yeah. know, so I I, I blew off the gig, Drew Steele went into shock Everybody else couldn't handle it, and Epic Records said, you guys are out. We're not picking up your, your option.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: It was classic.
1: That is classic, yes.
2: Right, so that sort of tells you a little bit about me.
1: Got it, yes. It's all making a lot of sense. It's becoming <laughs> so very no, clear now, Dennis.
2: It'll never It'll never make total sense, because I've been true. told about
1: but the thing yeah. is,
2: um, it, it it worked for me at the time, and it probably bought me a few more years on the planet.
1: Okay, okay. Right. So then, uh, so when you start to slow down, surf punks, you basically just that slows down, and and the other part of your life, which is the audio engineering stuff, that just picks back up.
2: Surf yeah, just, just remained just funks. sort of an
1: afterthought the whole time, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was a screw off. And that's yeah. fine. You know, it's a yeah. little divergent. But a, a lot of, I, just, I don't want to name any names, but a, a few of the members were just really disappointed in my activities sure. yeah. or my acting because of yeah. that, they, they thought we were going to be the, you know, the next uh, yeah. who knows who. And I, I didn't want it because I was on, I don't know if you know much about me, but I was on the road with the Beach Boys as a percussionist in the mm-hmm. late 60s. And I didn't. If anybody wants to know more about me, Dragon dot com. Good luck. It's all um, there. But it, it goes back to the fifties if you want to go back that far. But um, yeah, I was a percussionist. I've done the road. I've done the Beach Boy thing. I've done. I, I just didn't like the road. I just yeah. it didn't do anything for me. I'd, I'm more useful behind the board in a studio near the ocean. That's kind of okay. where I'm at. Okay.
1: Okay. So. Okay. That's, and you uh, managed to carve part. that kind of a life for yourself. From then on, right? So tell us after, what did you? What else did you do besides surf punk punks? What else did you do?
2: Well, I, the surf punk thing kind of ended. I actually got married because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd never been married, so I tried okay. that and had two boys, and that was fun.
1: Oh, okay. Tried it. They turned out pretty now.
2: good. What's oh.
1: that? You're not still married now?
2: No, but that, that was okay. another phase. That was a 15-year okay. trip. Not bad. Pretty good for a okay. Good. 15, good. 15 yeah. Years. Okay. And so I, I even, you know, to keep her happy, I moved to even moved to Missouri, where it, where she was born, and I did that for a while. So I kind of put my life on a back burner for a few minutes, but I always did my studio thing. I was, you know, I had this in Santa Barbara. I was set up for a while, and I did a TV show called Locals Only, mm-hmm. based on local bands and local clubs playing local music, and I did I teamed up with a guy named by the name of Ian Stewart on that one. And oh. he's a guitar player. I'm a drummer, and we did that for from '91 for about a ten-year stint. So I don't know who do Ian Stewart is. I know, that, is. A, what, I know that, that name. Who's Ian Stewart? I know that name. Well, you know the name. He, I think Ian Stewart is somebody who was in a band that's famous, but this is a different Ian Stewart who oh. didn't get famous. So he oh, played guitar. Okay. I don't All right, know. Never mind. There's probably a few Ian Stewarts, but hi, Ian, if you're listening. So he's in Ventura <laughs> right now, still trying to become famous, I think. And um, <laughs> and. Meanwhile, I just, you know, I just did my thing. I moved up from Malibu to – I couldn't take it to Santa Barbara. That's where I got married, and I liked it there at the time. I guess that was the early 90s. Did a 20-year stint there um, Mm. with my studio doing – you know, just working with miscellaneous, miscellaneous. I don't think I did anything of of note, but I I did – I always did work with the surf. Slash Skateboard Crew. Um, I did a bunch of I did, did a bunch of soundtrack work for the Bones Brigade. Paul Peral. I
1: wondered about that. I wondered if all you were the, involved uh, with them.
2: Oh, absolutely! I produced the music for all those videos, all those Bones Brigade videos, Got the it. early ones. Okay. And I worked great with Stacy. We had a great relationship, and it was just like, yeah, crank it out, man. And um you know, that's does what he I'll ever do use
1: it. you on his movies now? Because he has become one of the best None. documentarians in the world.
2: No, I know he is, and that's great. He found his niche. No, we talk every once in a while just to make sure we're still alive. But no, I, <laughs> okay. uh, I, he doesn't, he, he doesn't use my what I have to offer because okay. it just it was that. It was it was that it was good for that time. Yeah.
1: Know, okay. Out. Okay.
2: Sure. So um, yeah, but I talked. I got a phone number last night. He lives in Cayucas, Good. You could cook okay. down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's how. So 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 cut to the cut to uh, a little bit more, you know, current. Uh, in the late, when did I, about 10 years ago, I said, I've had it with Southern California. Okay. I've had it with Santa Barbara. There's too much traffic. I'm kind of a loner kind of guy anyway. I value my free time. I don't like to know that there's planes flying above my head all the time mm-hmm. and people all traffic everywhere. So the Southern okay. California thing in me sort of said bye-bye. Okay. And I moved yes. up to, uh, on, on the advice of a friend of mine who lived in Ohio for a while, said, Hey, if you ever come up to Oregon, come up and visit me. So that was Southern Oregon. And I came up, and that was a little over 10 years ago. I thought it was really cool. And uh-huh. she said, How would you like to? It was kind of in kind of a rural rural town. Yeah. And she said, how'd, like, how'd you like to see a studio that Steve Miller built? I go, oh, What? Yeah. What? <laughs> you know, here's a guy that worked in bedrooms and garages all his life. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going, Wait, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I got to see this. So yeah. she takes me down to this place. It's a 9,000-square-foot barn in the middle of nowhere, literally. It's got a big half-court basketball uh, court. for no I get to use up for, for, for playing basketball sure. and rehearsing with this band. Big roll-up doors. And in no the way. back, there is a world-class recording studio. Built. Really? It's built exactly, almost exactly the way I would build it if I had the money to do it. And I'm No sure. way. I so oh. I walk into this place at this time. It's owned by a place a uh, nonprofit called Pacifica, not anything down in Southern California. It's more okay. of a thing, and they 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 promote you know growing pot. I mean, growing plants.
0: And, um, <laughs> no,
2: no, they don't do that. No, they, that and then they have right seminars. Seminars, seminars for kids. They have weddings here. I mean, it's kind of straight ahead. But okay. so, so when I walk into the control room. It was being used for the bride quarters for the for the weddings, and oh. I go, this is insane. And then I walked yeah. into the studio, and that was being used for storage for art supplies, and I go, this is ins- I got to get in here. So I talked to the director. I say, you No, know, he, he, he he tried to suss me out like whatever, who's this guy? Uh-huh. Of uh-huh. California, what bullshit? You know, give me yeah. a break. What if he want to do? He probably wants to grow a pot and trim it in the studio. So sure. that ain't me, babe. So. It took me a year of doing the to get in here because he's such an whatever it was Uh made me play play the game because you know when you move up here, uh, I don't know it's it's kind of like you know Oregon Southern California yeah that guy's BS you know Mm -hmm. come on give me a break Mm -hmm. those people that live down there there's nothing going on in their heads and I had to basically prove to them that I'm not on that level you know I'm I just I I moved away because I couldn't take that anymore.
1: Sure. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: You know, and you know, everybody's a star or a yeah. wannabe. Or, you know, you. But know. you're
1: a professional. You have to prove to them that you're there for the right reasons.
2: I'm, I'm not in it for for, for for the for the glory yeah. or for yeah for the for that trip. I'm just I'm just i just trying to do my it's work. What I
1: work. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I do it yeah. well. You know. Okay. So Here I am. I get it, it. Took me a year to get in. the The, the guy, the executive director, I'm not going to mention his name, right. uh, he had me move in in February. Well, what does it do in February in the Pacific Northwest?
1: <laughs> Rain? It
2: <laughs> snows. It's cold. Oh, it even rains. worse. Okay. It's It's terrible. So <laughs> here I am driving the U-Haul, the biggest one I have, from uh-huh. Santa Barbara with all my reporting of go over the past, with the chains and the whatever, whatever, uh-huh. whatever, unloading in the snow, freezing my ass. And guess what? I don't care because I'm stronger than that man. You know what I mean? He thought I was uh-huh. going in Southern California, gotta have it seventy degrees or else it's too cold. No. I adjusted to the situation rather rather quickly. Got nice. my stuff in here and within a month of me unloading it, I was up and running.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. Well wow. I did totally
2: myself. And do you still work there now? Absolutely, I'm I'm in the room right now. I've okay. been set up for nine. Oh. I've been set up in this room for a little over nine years. I have okay. a world class craft class recording studio. I have a Neve console. I, I got the best of the analog stuff that I've been collecting all my life. Great microphones, collecting all my life. Great room. Great I every. Mean, it's great. I mean, okay. all I have to do is keep keep living. Watch out for the stroke and the heart attack, and I'm good.
1: Yeah. So who do you? What do you work on? Do you work on like multimedia projects? Do you produce bands do you
2: absolutely jingles? Well, what do you like, do what's what's happening up here i didn't move up here for the for the musical expertise because i mean uh-huh. the players big cities let's face the facts sure. they're really good they, they're not there's only a handful of in my opinion a players around here but that's okay, okay. Uh-huh. i i didn't move up here i had I, well let me just re- digress digress a little bit when i first had my old grand opening wow uh uh-huh. with orders oh boy <laughs> um, uh, I, a lot of people, kids you know, I had gold records on the wall. Like, who the hell's this guy? And uh-huh. you know, moving into this little town, you know, with, with, whatever. One, and they they wished me well, and that was fine. But see, I didn't move up here to make a whole lot of money. Yeah. I, I obviously, I moved up here to perpetuate the art of recording live in the room, everyone at the same time. Got that's it.
3: where
2: that's where I'm the best. I, I I learned in the early '60s how to record that way. You know just a few microphones, two track, mono, whatever, no fixing, no nothing, no mixing, straight to two track and I think that's where there's a lot of magic that happens and i know I know for me, and so i that's that's my thing i mean i I don't Uh-oh. mind you know recording one track at a time if we have to, but if you yeah. put about you know three to five to six to seven to more musicians in a room all at once playing, there's magic that happens, and that's okay. that's what that's what
1: i'm doing that's that's incredible, good for you. So, well, I got.
2: I, I want to ask you, you know, like I said, one of the
1: things we try to cover sensitively is sort of the money side of things. Obviously, yeah. you make your living as an audio engineer, producer, whatever, now. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like there, for a little while, before moving up there, there may have been some lean years. I have to ask, could you – I don't know what your royalty shakedown is for Love Will Keep Us Together or whatever. Could you live off <laughs> mailbox money you know,
2: for, you, for, you, for Captain you, Antin- you. You you are a very focused man and I I I like that. That's no really cool. no Okay, so I have here, a feeling you don't
1: actually like that.
2: <laughs> no, I do no. Are you kidding? Okay. I don't lie. I okay. like that because I'm I'm kinda all over the place, but yes, the focus of this show is what are these people doing? How do they survive? Is there life yes. after whatever? And yeah. let me tell you, just at the right time just at the right time, there was an inheritance. Uh and your that dad, carried me we should
1: say your dad mostly
2: through uh, my married years. Okay. Should that we, inheritance we, ran out about the exact time <laughs> that I had to get it together and, and get back online, and that's what happened got when it. I moved to okay. work. Okay. I got back. Do we online. want to establish to who your dad and mom? So are? yes, that that ma- money carried me through. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to sail through a marriage where a wife thought if you've got checks in the in the in, in in the in the purse there's money in the bank
1: okay
2: we should establish who your parents are well yeah there my dad was a symphony conductor carmen dragon and mm-hmm. my mother was a you know coloratura soprano singer who went berserk with five kids because, you know, it's rough raising five kids. But, yeah, yeah, my dad dad, uh, died, and uh, there was some money to keep my mom going, and then she died about ten years later. And then, you know, we all collected, you know, whatever money there was, and I actually kept my marriage going with that. But I did always. I was always recording. You know, I wasn't making the big bucks, but I was certainly working. And, you know, that's that's a good thing because I love doing it. I just get it 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 going, you know.
1: And do you get decent – Mailbox money from Captain and Tennille or no?
2: Oh no no no! That okay. the, the only money I made from that band was um, when I you know when I from that band from my, <laughs> was when I actually well, I, I walked out I, I did their first few recordings and then they, they, they Muskrat Love came up and I mm. said I can't work on this song this song it, it's too, the words are too stupid <laughs> so I, I walked out I walked out on that song mm. and then we got another engineer. And, and then about six months or a year later, you know, it wasn't, the magic wasn't there because, you know, there's some sort of magic that happens when sure. you have me or not. I guess I, ah, who sure. knows? Sure. You know, yeah, I'm kind of a hi-fi engineer. And yeah, so I okay. also helped Daryl because I was basically co-producing in there, even though I didn't get credit. Um, you know, I'd say, hey, Tony, let's try that take again. You're a little whatever. Or okay. Daryl, let's go back to bar 35. You know, we could do that a little cleaner. So there's that. But um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, there was there was some sort of focus here. Um, well, uh, mailbox money so oh, you got paid yeah, yeah. for that oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah i, I yeah. know what it is now so, so i was rehired about a year later or less because they wanted me back cuz i was good yeah. and so i i made a little deal with them i said well on this album i want a point okay instead mm. of getting 20 dollars $20 an hour uh, and i work about so fast i make my, my my you know i may make 400 dollars yeah. on a song okay. uh, i would like a point and you know that translated to a good amount of money so that's the okay that's that's sure. that's on one album and so that okay. wasn't bad that was, I think I made 150 grand one year okay. and that was nice well, okay but see, I'm kind of i am kind of a low maintenance guy I don't I require tell. a lot of money I mean I don't need the latest car I mean I it's just two, you know two screens and every whatever I I don't yeah. need any of that stuff okay uh so yeah I, I don't need whatever who knew, who knew, I don't know what anybody needs okay. Does anybody, do you know what you need I don't know I wonder
1: sometimes When you go to work every day and you don't, no, I'm different than you because I don't love what I do every day. And it makes you wonder, what can I get away with, you know? What's the the price? What's the cost here, you know? I live in a house. I have two cars. I I can pay my bills, three kids. But it costs me a little bit of my soul every day. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, you're right. It's a trade-off, and that's what, yeah. I, that's what I was doing in Malibu. I was, like, you know, going – I was hitting the beach by about 9 a.m. or 8, and then by about two, I was burned out, and then I'd work. And it yeah. would really – you know, because I got the physical going, and then I'd get get the, get the other thing going. But, yeah, you, the balance is what's important. As long as you aren't trading off too much and sacrificing yeah. that which you love, you know, it's, it's working out. And I know a yeah. lot of people that live with stress, I, I can't relate to stress. I just can't relate. And I've run into it a few times in the studio. And I'll tell you, just as a quick one, these days, and I hate to sound old, but I am and I don't care. Um, these days, people walk into the studio, music, musicians walk into the studio, uh-huh. knowing that every, everything can be fixed. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and I can't relate to that because I, I don't like to fix anything. I mean, right. I, I don't even do it. I mean, if somebody can't play, get out. If somebody yeah. can't sing, go somewhere else. You right. know, and I've blown off a lot of people because that's what the recording industry has turned into now. And I and my buddy Alan Sides, who really is a good friend of mine, and a lot of people know this guy, um, said, "Dennis, these days record companies—and I won't name them—require that the mixes run through time and pitch correction.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you know yeah. what that?
2: Do you know what that does? Oh, I'm sure."
1: Well, that's where the yeah, auto tuning yeah. comes in, and I mean it just yeah. makes it—it it turns it into a machine,
2: into it, a robot. Exactly. It, it sterilizes it a pop everything. song. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, and that—it's sterilized, and so mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's great. Everything's hitting on exact one. Everything. There's yeah. no inflection. There's no humanity left. So, yeah, great. You know, that's really great. And you go to see these people live, and unless they're singing through a pitch corrector, they suck. hmm So, well, yeah. that's what I have to say no. about the latest. So, yeah, basically, let's go back a few minutes or whatever hours. You said, who do I work with up here? Well, when I first came up here, I became aware of the fact that there weren't, you know, the musicians weren't that great. But at least they, they're, you know, at least they're cool, you know. At least yeah. they're, you know, they play acoustic instruments. There's not a whole lot of, you know, that I've recorded a lot of electric stuff. But I primarily stick with acoustic because I know how to record acoustic instruments. My that's dad great. was a symphony conductor. I know yeah. what they sound like. Yeah. So that's, they can appreciate me. and. You know, I pay the bills. That's how I pay the low bill. My bills aren't hot, heavy, and yeah. you know, I drive, I drive a car in 1999 and a 2005 van, and they're still holding up, and I'm happy. I mean, I just Good. came from, out back from five days of camping at the beach. I like wow. to do that. Okay, That's so you know, when I come here and then I work, and then when I burn out, I you know,
1: yeah.
2: I have a fire outside. You know, I mean, I, I'm incredible. into kind of the, the Pacific Northwest Oregonian. Like, yeah. I was always that way. Anyway, believe sure. it or not, I mean, I, I was living in Southern California, but I was camping a lot when I was down there in Santa Barbara North, you know, North sure. Mid Cal. I'd, I'd go out. So that's a little bit about me. You know, geez, okay. I, I'm talking uh, too much about me. What else? can No, you talk this is this
1: was perfect.
2: Um, yeah. In
1: fact, Dennis, you are exactly who I thought you would be. Pretty much. Well, I am a
2: human on the planet Earth getting sprayed with chemtrails and, <laughs> and, and GMO food being forced on our throats and yeah. frequencies being broadcast that are messing with our minds. I'm aware of oh, all man. these things, but
3: oh,
2: uh, whatever. I don't want to bum anybody out. But if anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, DennisDragon.com. There's another one, the studio at That's my studio. And, sure. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, and they can find me on the net. And, my thing is, since since I'm on Steve Miller's, what used to be Steve Miller's property, which was sold, I guess, in the 80s at some point or something like that, uh, there is a house that's rentable here. So people oh. can actually, if they want to do some old school recording, Or bucket list recording, they can book it, talk to me, get a hold of me through my website, thestudioatpacifica.com. Perfect. And we can get we can get them into Steve Miller's house that he lived in. It holds about ten people. They can rent it. It's across the lake from me, which is right a a stone throw from me. It's really a beautiful property, and we can do some old time recording with everybody in the room at the same time.
1: Wouldn't that be fun? That's beautiful. That is beautiful.
2: (laughs) Cool. Well. uh,
1: Well, look, thank you for talking to me so i just I wanted to tell you in the i, I it was probably around nineteen eighty seven because that was probably my most formative year. I would have been fourteen. My best friend, Brandon Norgren had this tape, and he didn't have the real tape. He had a recorded tape, you know a dubbed tape and I'm sure he got it from an older sister or an older somebody and he brought it he brought it over and he said "You've gotta hear this and we listened to big Top and to a fourteen year old you know. <laughs> Listening to songs about boobs and about beer and surfing and beaches, and it was the most provocative, you know, mind-blowing thing to a little Mormon boy in Salt Lake City, Utah. That was a world that I could not even, you know, I had no idea was out there, but I wanted to know more about.
2: And I realized that,
1: well, I was going to say, I think my beach is one of those, like, it's one of those generational albums, to me anyway, it's sort of like the first Violent Femmes album. It's that thing that gets passed down to the generations to be like, look, this was something cool that for me, and it will be cool for you, and it will be cool for the next generation, and it never goes out of style. And
2: Well, you know, I hate to say that music is like art, but I, I really... I think that first album is—I'm really proud of it because it really sure. capt, captured a time, a place, and a vibration. And it, it holds did. up. It does. It does hold up. I hear from people via my website that uh, just like you, I mean, they're just once yeah. in Europe or what. I love it. I don't know anything about it, but I just—I just think it's so cool, and I'm yeah. stoked. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm glad to Good. be a part of it. If I hadn't met Drew Steele, it would have never happened. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, that was that time and that place. It's yeah. gone. It's gone, but it sure. was gone. Well, <laughs> I've that. always
1: had a fascination with who you were and what the story was, and so I wanted to get you on here to hear your story, and you've told it beautifully. So thank well, you, Dennis, for talking the fact to
2: me. That we, I thank you a lot for checking in, man. We'll try to keep it sure. all going as positive as possible. I love it.
0: There you have it, Dennis Dragon. Wasn't he a riot? I've been trying to make that interview happen for a couple of years, so I'm so glad that he talked to me. Seriously, like I said, the Violent Femmes, that kind of thing, that band that like, broadens your mind when you're a teenager, like, this is what the cool kids, what the older kids, what those other kids, the kids I'm not cool enough to be a part of, this is what they're listening to, that's kind of what the surf punks were for me. We're gonna close it out with a, what else would a song by the surf punks be called, but Life's a Beach. This is on their third album from the late 80s. Now, next week, I'm afraid I'm not entirely sure what we're going to run again. Uh, I I know I've been saying that lately. I will tell you in a couple of days, we're going to put out a bonus episode again with a uh, maybe the most random out of nowhere guest we've ever had on here. In fact, not maybe, definitely. He is a cultural icon. If you're my age, you grew up with this guy, but he also happens to be a musician, you will never guess, but I'm excited to bring it to you here in a couple of days. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man, Mokiewicz. Love you, buddy, for all you do and for being my partner in crime. Uh, the business, you know how to find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there if you want. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The hustlepod. I'm not on Twitter that much. I'm far more on Facebook, but find us any which way. Keep in contact. Let me know if there's somebody you'd like to have on the show. Okay. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. Bye, everybody.